Here we go. Here we go. Grab a seat if you can. Grab a cup of coffee if you want. I don't know if you caught it. I don't know how many of you. Um, I don't know how many of you read the margin comments. You know, kind of prayerfully. Um, my wife does, and she was struck by this. And I actually didn't pick it. Um, I think Pastor Bruzek did, and I don't think he actually knew. Uh, I don't think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's very good. I don't think he knows the author, though. It was just a great comment that we came across, and we found it. It's this Andre DeBus. Anybody know this? I think it's pronounced DeBus. Now, of course, Abby, we have a book from, we have so many books in our house uh, from authors I've never heard of that she says, oh, I've got his book. It's on our shelf. I'm like, okay. So I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you the margin comment. I want to read you something from the introduction to his book. Uh, that may launch us into at least what the Christian life is supposed to look like. He says, and I'll, I'll read you a little bit about his life after I read this. I cannot achieve contemplation as some can. And so, having to face and forgive my own failures, I have learned from them both the necessity and wonder of ritual. For ritual allows those who cannot will themselves out of the secular to perform the spiritual, as dancing allows the tongue-tied a ceremony of love. Okay? Now, this guy... It's from Broken Vessels. These are all of his essays. Um, Tobias Wolf, who I think Claire has for class right now, right? He wrote Old School, very popular, very popular book. He's a phenomenal author. Um, he wrote the introduction to this. Okay? So this is his introduction talking about DeBus. Now, DeBus uh, was in a tragic car accident and paralyzed. He also, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I was a little creeped out when I first saw it. Abby's got this movie called In the Bedroom. Freaky. Don't know who it's with, but when I saw the title, I said, we're not going to watch that. Well, apparently it has nothing to do with that. It might be, yeah, but I, I've never seen it. I think she had it on and I fell asleep. Um, but his, his son directed House of Sand and Fog. If you've seen that movie, that's a very good movie. Okay, So he comes from a family of uh, both good directors and good authors. But this is what Tobias Wolf writes about DeBus. The description of the accident makes hard reading for me because I was with Andre not long before it happened. And I remember almost too well the robust, swaggering pleasure he took in his own dense physical being. His body, like his mind, always itching for something strenuous to do with itself. He had a habit, habit of stopping when he saw people in trouble. On an early morning in July of 1986, he was driving home from Boston and came upon a car blocking the right lane of the highway, its taillights darkened. A woman stood beside it. Her forehead was bloodied. Andre pulled over and walked back to see what had happened. The woman was with her brother, a young man just arrived from Puerto Rico. As Andre was trying to calm them and get them off the road, a passing car swerved toward them and struck both the brother and Andre. The brother was killed. Andre came close to dying. He spent months in the hospital and had 10 operations and went home as what he insists on calling a cripple. Now he ends his, his preface with this. This is, this is, there's nothing better than this. Andre has made his wheelchair a place to see the world more clearly than ever. I was struck again and again by the range of his vision, by its depth and compassion, and by the music in which he gives it voice. 
after the physical pain of grief has become, with time, a permanent wound in the soul, a sorrow that will last as long as the body does, after the horrors become nightmares and sudden daylight memories, then comes the transcendent and common bond of human suffering. And with that comes forgiveness, and with forgiveness comes love. Okay? That's the introduction to this guy's uh, short essays, but you can see the progression. He's apparently a very devout Christian. Once you've been caught up in the bond of human suffering, then comes forgiveness, and with forgiveness comes love. Um, I'm, I'm, I just said to the other two pastors this morning, um, there needs to be a dramatic change in our lives uh, as pastors. And I said, uh, I said, uh, I'm going to plant a garden because I think I, I never liked gardens. But for some reason, you're kind of drawn to it, just like you're drawn to. There are certain things in life you're drawn to. You're drawn to children, um, even when they're crying and cooing or whatever. You're, there's, there's, a, there's a way in which we're drawn to those people. And I said, I'm also going to read poetry because poetry is beautiful. And I'm struck every Friday as we read the psalms upstairs. Part of the reason why I read a longer psalm, I know some of you think wrap it up, is because it's so extraordinarily beautiful. Um, and beauty, you know, is the antidote to evil. And when you're caught up in something that's beautiful, like the bus, that naturally pushes you toward forgiveness, and forgiveness pushes you out towards love. And that's the Christian life. That's what it's all about. And that's what we've been saying. I, you know, I, I, we're almost done with this book. I mean, I don't know how far along we are. Chapter 14, there are, can't be that many more chapters. Um, at times, it's been invigorating. Um, at times, it's been frustrating. You know, I've, I've taught this now twice. Um, I've read it probably three or four times. But I, I was struck again this morning, even in N.T. Wright's description, as he begins to talk about the scriptures, how we always get caught up in all the minutia. You know, is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it allegorical? Is it typological? I mean, even Lutherans have these same discussions. And I fear that the same thing has happened down here. We've, got, we've been caught up in all the details. Um, when I think N.T. Wright is really just pushing us to say, this is the echo of the voice. You can hear it in these four things. And here is Jesus. He is the voice. And the voice then pushes you out to live the life that he's called you to live. It's actually very simple. You can sum up this book in probably you know, 200 words. <laughs> um, but I just think we need to move in that direction. Part of it is because I, um, I know there are people in this room who want to keep pressing along um, and who are trying to get it right. And we need a dramatic shift in our thinking. We need to play to our strengths. Um, if you look at the, I, it, was, it was funny. We were at the pastor's conference this, for two days this week. And my father-in-law gave a lecture on the catechumenate. Um, then we asked him for part of the check. Uh, at the end, he owes us money now. He, of course, knows a lot about the catechumenate, but never has done it in the parish. So I said, well, if you got paid 1000 just give us 500 and we'll call it square. Um, but he gave us, I mean, in front of 300 pastors who rarely speak well of us, you had the guy giving the lecture saying, if you want to see how the church is to be done, go to St. John Wheaton. Okay? Now, there are people in that room that if they could slip my throat at night, they would. Um, 
And there are probably more people that would do the same thing to Bruzek and maybe more that would do the same thing to Nelson. Nelson, Nelson is stealthy, but uh, people are starting to feel him out, and it's great. <laughs> kind of like, join the club, buddy. Um, but Nelson says, we walk in, oh, we, oh, we all have to get our pictures taken this time. It's like a, like a death row lineup, you know? You got all these pastors lined up, and they say, oh, everybody's got to get their picture taken. They're all going to send us a Facebook. And by the way, I get eight wallets, so Abby will get one, and if seven of you would like one, I'm happy to give one along. <laughs> Put it on your fridge. Um, for the silent auction, yeah. No one will bid on that. Um, so we're all lined up to get these pictures, and Nelson says, I'm not getting my picture taken. I'm like, whoa, even I play along. I mean, I'm going to go get my picture taken. Hey, no, he said, I'm not getting, I don't need to get my picture taken. Well, then the bishop steps in, meaning Bruzek. No, you know, young Nelson, you should probably get your picture taken. We're all playing along. But at this conference, you know, the overarching theme, I can't tell you. I bet you in two days, in three hours of lectures, it was said ten times, if you want to see this done well, go to St. John Wheaton. And so finally, we get a little street cred with all of this. Okay, I mean, for the longest time, people are saying, all you do is the liturgy, and all you do is this, and it never. So one guy comes up at the very end and says, um, I, could, I guess I couldn't believe he said it. He tries to nuke us publicly, and he says to me beforehand, he says, what's the demographic of people coming into your church? What are they, like 40, 50, 60? What's the demographic? I said, well, out of 35 adults and 18 children, I said probably 90% of them were under the age of 35. And he's stunned by this. He actually can't believe it. Um, and that is, you know, that is, that is to whom N.T. Wright is writing. He's writing to the people who are under the age of 35 who say, I don't know anything about the Christian life, but I know that there's something there for me. So instead of talking about inerrancy and inspiration and literal readings and figurative readings, I at least think we need to take into consideration the fact that N.T. Wright is saying, this is bigger than that minutia. He might be. Well, he, I, I actually, I think, I think that's part of it. I think he's saying, I mean, as he ends, he gives you three pages on inspiration and literal readings and figurative readings, but how does he end? He says, the Bible is part of God's answer to the ancient human quest for justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty. Read it and see. Mm -hmm. Barely. You and Jen Cole, today's Jen's birthday. Jen turns 34 today. Right. What, what did you find? Anything jump out at you? I mean, I, I've got a whole list of things that I found fascinating in this section, but anything that jumped out at you right away? What page are you on, Kirby? What page are you on? Okay. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Right. You know. Yeah. Right. It's it's inter- I was as I was reading this. I mean, he begins the first sentence in his book is about authority. Or the first sentence in the chapter is about authority. Um, if you look at page one eighty five. One of the things Christians regularly say about the Bible is that it's authoritative. But what we might mean by this has been difficult to grasp. That's, I mean, yeah, everyone over the age of 40, and that's not to speak ill of those people. It's just that's not the generation they were raised with. As I said, if you were a kid of the 60s, you were taught to question authority, right? I mean, that's just, in fact, Abby and I were talking the other day about why it was that people questioned authority, and I'm sure there are a range of answers here. Um, but, you know, that was just the way people were taught. That is, that is not the case anymore. I mean, the way I raise Emma is you're obedient to authority. You respect authority. You rejoice in authority. The kids in the eighth grade today, their last question coming out was, why don't we have a pope, bishop, and cardinals? Wouldn't it be nice to have people over us? Now, you guys chuckle. You guys would, you, many people in this room would say, I'd never want that. But these kids rejoice in that. They rejoice in that. Because here's the thing. I, and, uh, yeah, well, well, maybe it's just when I'm in the room. I don't know. I don't think they're as, as respectful as other people. But um, I used, when I first became a pastor, I thought, I mean, any theological question would come up. Ah, oh, the Eucharist isn't the body and the blood. Or the lit- I used to think people just don't understand the Eucharist, or people just don't understand the liturgy. But there are so many things that people question and don't understand that I've come to realize it's not that they don't understand the Eucharist or the liturgy or authority. People actually don't understand Jesus. They don't understand Jesus. I mean, people that say, you can't tell me what to do to Jesus, um, then you don't understand him. You don't understand him. Because here's the thing, and I said this in Bible study on Sunday. I said, Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything he doesn't do himself. So he's not, you know, it's not like, it's not like telling your kid to study when you were a F student and you didn't study. No, he studied, now he tells you to study. He's obedient, far more obedient than you and I will ever be. And so he tells you, be obedient. Um, it's just mind-boggling to me that people, the people, and I, I'm stunned that he led this way. The Bible is authoritative because Jesus is authority. People who, who disregard authority and disregard the scriptures and say, I will do it my own way. I'll read it my own way. You know, I don't have to come to Bible study. I'll read it at home. All of that essentially is a misunderstanding of Jesus at its very core. Okay, now there's a way out of that. The way out of that is, um, as we tell, you know, kids who say, I don't want to take the chalice. Do it for a year and then come back and talk to us. I've never had a kid come back and talk to me and say, I'm not going to take the chalice. So here's the thing. Listen to Jesus for a year and then we can talk about it. Give it a shot. Yeah, well, not around here. I'll tell you what. uh, I, I, yeah, around here it's like another sacrament, you know. They're, you know, absolution and baptism and the Lord's Supper and 7th and 8th grade boys basketball. So, oh, well, we're not pros? Come on. That, yes, they do. They give them a year. Yeah. 
Right. There is no actual Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, here's you remember you remember here's the way it works in the scriptures. Jesus um in fact this is I think I think it is actually used of Jesus. Um Jesus, well here's the father. Father speaks. Along comes Jesus. Jesus then simply says what the Father says. Okay? And the Greek word there is homo logeo. Logeo means words. Homo, of course, means same, right? So same words. So the Father, so the Son speaks the same words as Jesus. Um, and then there are different bits of authority placed in your life. You know, you, you say uh, in the catechism, you're obedient to your parents, to your pastors, to your government, and to, you know, in this case, at a school, to your teachers, anyone put in a position of authority over. So you, you really have four bits of authority uh, in your life. Now, as long as they're saying the same thing as Jesus, homo legato, um, it demands, in a gospel sort of way, full obedience. Okay? This is why even in, even in Matthew 18, um, when it says, uh, whatever, I will give you the keys to, to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, he says, says to his apostles, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then instantly an old Lutheran says, well, the pastor doesn't forgive my sins. But the Greek word there is, uh, is actually, it's used of homo logeo. So here's what happens. Jesus says it first, and the pastor simply delivers. So you're right. You don't, you, don't, you don't obey when someone tells you to do something that's not in the realm of Jesus. Um, but I would, and certainly there have been people in our, in our past who have done that, um, parents and government and church and whomever. Uh, but, you, but you need to be very careful uh, to at least raise the claim that, that that still happens in specific circumstances. Because if you do, um, that is to Jesus, that's a slap in the face to Jesus if you're wrong. And it's a slap in the face to your leaders, even if you're right or wrong. Um, it demands a lot of evidence to say that someone has told you to do something outside the realm of Jesus. Now what N.T. Wright is telling us, he's just saying what Jesus says. The scriptures are authoritative. Live in obedience to the scriptures and Jesus will use you as a means of grace. That's all he says here. So it demands, and if you can't hear demands as a gospel word, um, then you should start listening. Uh, that's the text for Sunday. This, this Sunday's gospel is great. The leper comes, heal me. Jesus heals him. Remember what Jesus says then? Speak to no one, but go and show yourself. What does the leper do? He speaks. Now, this is very important. Jesus says, don't talk, but go and do. And the leper talks. Now, why? So why does then Jesus say, I can't be in the city anymore? 
because the leper didn't listen. <laughs> it's very easy. And, and here's the thing. I mean, this is not a threat. This is just simply the way Jesus works. If he can't have his way with the place, he just moves on to the next. And it would be a shame to say, you know, five years from now, uh, Jesus was no longer welcome in this town, so he moved on to the next. That's a real live thing. Because um, Jesus demands obedience. Because he's obedient. He asks you to do nothing that he himself hasn't done already. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Part of it is, I think, um, you can tell a lot about a person by where they go to church. I mean, it's like anything. It's like where your family eats dinner, where you go shopping. You can tell a lot about a person that way. And many of the, many of the folks, we don't get many folks here. We get a few. But they're really the exception, as far as new member goes, who say, um, you're not going to tell me what to do. In fact, I got an email from a, from a member, a young member, about two weeks ago. And this person said, um, my family and I will do whatever you say. That is, that's a reason to stay in the ministry. Yeah, see, I, yeah, I don't, well, here's the thing. It's only scary if, if what, what you're being told to do is outside the realm of Jesus. So here's what I would, I would propose to you. If that's the case, then you need to, you need to actually, you actually need to say, gosh, here's where I've been told to live outside the life of Jesus. And that's very difficult to do because I can't be obedient to someone who tells me to live outside the life of Jesus. But at least as far as N.T. Wright's showing you, that just simply means to live your life within the story of Holy Scripture. Remember, he equates, uh, N.T. Wright does, authority with Scripture. And he says to live within authority is to live within the story. Yeah, it is, but, but if you don't understand love and obedience go hand in hand, then you don't understand Jesus because they go together.
Well, if you do, then that wouldn't be a question. Then you wouldn't say, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, sure you can. Yeah. It would be nice if you gave us the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. But that's for another discussion. That we're trying to get with NP, right? This is the, this is the stuff we don't want to get into. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, my doctor said the other time I, I was there to see him, by the way, if you don't get a physical, you should all go get a physical. You know this, right? You got a husband who's a doctor. It's very important. La okay, all right. Well, that's more than I wanted to know. But anyways, uh, I was there in July, and he said, to, he said a very funny thing. He said, uh, um, he said, you know why I like you? This was him to me. He's a young guy. He kind of looks like Doogie Howser, actually. And he said, you know why I like you? He said, because whatever I say, you're going to do. And I said, well, yeah, you're my doctor. I mean, what, what am I going to say, no? And he said, oh, you'd be surprised. He said, I get all, and your husband probably has the same thing. He said, I get people all the time who come in with, you know, Google research on, here's what I've been, he said, one woman came in and said, I know I have high blood pressure, so I must have a brain tumor. <laughs> he said, you know, you could, but the chances of that are. And they said, nope, I know I have a brain tumor. I need you to prescribe me this medicine because I know I have a brain tumor. And he said, people like that are very difficult to help because it's their way or the highway. I mean, your husband kind of says to him, okay, well, there's, I'm sure this is what he says. There's not much I can do for you then. Like, yeah, I'd be happy if you came back, but if you're going to tell me what you've got or if you're going to tell me how to care for you, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. <laughs> Jen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, right. Young 34. Very well said. Yep. Well, it's it's part of their yes. That's very well said. That's it's actually in a sense it's kind of part of their DNA. It's uh, uh, and this doesn't. Here's the thing. And this is where we got into a lot of trouble the very first few weeks. What everyone heard was we said, don't worry about talking to people about the faith. Don't worry about anything. Just love people. Which is almost like the social gospel. You just give people some money and give them a cup of coffee. That'll bring people into the kingdom. That's actually not what we're saying. All we're saying is it's just a different set of events now. So for someone who's, a, who's, a, who's very modern, they would say, I really need to see all the data. I'll sort through all the data. And if it comes out, this is why I did this whole thing, and I know very few of you understood it or appreciated it. I'll never do it again with the scientific and the arts. Modernists are very scientific. If you show me all the data and it adds up, then I'll believe. Where the other people say, it looks pretty, I like it. It's like me with, po with poetry. I don't know the first thing about poetry. I'm doing a PhD, but I am not a literary critic at all. But I find it very beautiful, and I'm drawn to it. And if I learn some things about poetry down the road, great. It's nice to know about this guy's life. It's kind of cool to know Tobias Wolf wrote the intro. I don't actually care any more than that. All I care about is things are evil. And I need some beauty, and this is very beautiful, so I'm going to latch on to it. Now, that can go awry. That can go very, I mean, people say things are beautiful all the time. Pornography, you know, uh, abuse, but beautiful in the way of the gospel, okay? Beautiful in the way the Lord created this creation to work. And so a postmodern like Holly would say, yeah, I want some facts down the road. I mean, I'm, this isn't just blind faith, but... I trust the people the Lord has put in charge over me. I know you do. I think it's cool too, yeah. Apologetics as you know it will. Not apologetics per se, but but the whole um, you know, twelve or thirteen proofs for the resurrection. That no longer can be the first word said. I mean, you're how old are your kids? How old are your kids? You got yeah, they're in their twenties, right? Chances are, now they've been raised in the church, so it may be, may be different for them, but chances are, if they were complete unbelievers, okay, or even Emma when she goes up, she's a complete unbeliever, what's going to bring her into the faith is not saying to her, here are the 18 ways we know Jesus rose from the dead. What's going to bring her into the church is her friend saying, come and see. Come to church with me. Gosh, it's, we have stained glass windows, it's kind of pretty. Well, yeah, yeah, there's hope in this. Here's why there's hope. 
there, if, if we remain as we are, and this is what people don't always understand. They think change is a bad thing. The church has always changed. The Reformation was a change. Even, even the church fathers from the 17th century onward, it was always changed. The 1970s was a change in the Missouri Synod. There's always change. So to just say I'm not going to change denies reality. You are, you are, you're not a human being. You can't be a human and say, I will not go with change. The church has always changed. But, but if we just deny it and say, we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to question authority, and we're going to listen to Jesus when we want, and we're going to get the 18 proofs of the resurrection. Yeah, you'll still be a church. But as I said in Bible study on Sunday, only on the fringes. Because that's not where the work is at. All pastoral care and all church care is always specific. Okay? This is a specific time with specific problems. If you're shooting at a problem from 50 years ago, <laughs> you're not shooting at the right target. Doesn't mean it was wrong then, but it means it's not helpful now. And what we're trying to show you, what N.T. Wright is really trying to show you is, here's the target today. Boom. Postmodern. And, and, if, and if, you, if you hit that target, the church grows and flourishes. We had people at this conference, guys I know, very nice guys, young guys, who are pastors of a very contemporary Lutheran church. And after this whole weekend, here's what they said. Um, you know, we've been, they came up to us and said, we'd like to talk more about the catechumenate. Now, these are guys who two years ago never would have talked to us. And they said, we've been trying some stuff like with incense and icons, and all these kids are coming. <laughs> the church is, we don't know what to do. Now, part of it is they've never been exposed to the liturgy. So th it's like me going in to do a, do a surgery. I have no idea what to do. It looks cool. I know people get well from it, but I don't know how to do it. But people are beginning to catch on. And they're beginning to see that this is the future of the church. It doesn't mean, so you can't walk away and say, Gainick said all the stuff in the past was bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is hit the target. Hit the target. Because that's the long gospel. You know, we always talk about law and gospel. No one understands what that means. Law and gospel is always specific. So deal in specificity. Anything that doesn't deal precisely or in specifics, that's, well, that's not reality. Yeah, Rebecca, do you have a hand up? Yeah, right. <laughs> you read it? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Right. It's, yeah, it's the same thing in the scriptures. They, they talk about this in two ways, both with slavery and with, and with authority or obedience. And it's always distinguished in, in the scriptures between worldly slavery and Christological slavery or worldly obedience and Christ-like obedience. And the, the distinction is one oppresses, that's the law, worldly. Worldly slaves, they just get beaten down. But slaves of Jesus, why does Jesus call slaves? It means you do what he says, right? But that is, as you hit the nail on the head, that is utter freedom. It's utter freedom. Because what it means is it's the, same, it's the same thing as kids with their parents. What it means is someone else is going to take the heat if it goes wrong. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm starting to really see that Right. And I see it in like at work. I'm more, I'm used to it. And I think today at work, my most rewarding work day is my weekend. You know, Friday. Yeah. And people just like talk to me about it. I listen to it. Yep. Even though I just had a bad coffee, I still listen back to it. <laughs> 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 but it's okay. 
And I think part of it is because you know, yeah, I mean, when, when it clicked on for me, I mean, even as a kid, I mean, here's what none of you understand. I was, I was a terrible, terrible kid. I mean, all the way through, well, how old am I? I mean, all the way through, my mom's just beginning to love me again. <laughs> Not really. I mean, she always loved me, but beginning to like me again. Um, I mean, I was bad. I was very bad. But when it clicked on for me was, I mean, as a kid, you don't always know this, but at least as an adult, you do. When the person to whom you're being obedient, when you know that they're not going to screw you, then it's all okay. It's always the question, are they going to get me? Are they not going to get me? Do they really have my best interest in mind? Do they not? Which is why in the church, the benefit of the doubt is, the first word spoken is, they're not out to get me. Now, does that happen? Yeah, it happens all the time. There are parishes, there are pastors, there are whatever. But when you, to live joyfully within obedience means you submit to someone else out of reverence to Christ because you know they're not going to get you. And that's why kids that flourish, oftentimes they see that earlier on. I wish I had. Go ahead, Donna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, right, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you've, I think you've hit on a helpful distinction that sometimes we make that we shouldn't make, which is the word of Scripture and the word called Jesus are one and the same. So someone can't say, I'm obedient to Jesus, but I don't listen to everything in the scriptures. Or I'm obedient to the scriptures, and I don't listen to everything Jesus says. So the, the great, you know, at least at the Reformation, there's one word, one word. They're not two words. It's not the word of scripture and the word of Jesus. There's one word that comes in both visible and oral ways. This, of course, is the sacraments. Luther called it the visible word. You see it. The oral word, preaching, scripture, absolution. Whenever there's a voice. But both of these deliver the word, specifically the word named Christ. And so you can't distinguish between the two. You can't say, we're a Bible-believing church, not a sacrament-believing church. No, it's one word. It comes in two ways. And you also can't say, I believe the scriptures and I don't believe the oral word. They're one and the same. 
I believe the scriptures and I don't believe Jesus. If you believe in the scriptures, if you read your Bible, you're, you're in obedience to the word made flesh and all that he brings and all that he does. And he comes in a multitude of ways. One thing he's trying to show you here is one of the ways is through you. <laughs> you actually become a means of grace. So his scripture, as he says, I mean, look at page 190. He's talking about other religious texts on the previous page, but he says, they don't offer a controlling story within which the readers are summoned to become characters. That's the top of page 190. You're actually meant to be a character in the story. The prodigal son, that's you. The woman at the well, that's us. And then in the next paragraph down, he says, it means rather that what the Christian believes about Jesus generates a narrative within which one is called to live. There is a story, and you're part of the plot. That living within the story generates a call to a particular vocation within the world. Mother, father, pastor, teacher, student, whatever. And that the Bible is the book through which God sustains and directs those who seek to obey that vocation as intelligent, thinking, image-bearing human beings. What he's trying to show you there is, you are a human. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. They're both the same. You can't say one's more important than the other. It's all about Jesus, and he wraps you up in his story, and then he sends you out to live a particular life. But he doesn't send you out as robots. That's sometimes what people think when we talk about obedience and authority. Like somehow you're just this puppet. Well, the pastor says dance this way, and you should dance. That's not it. You're, as he says, a thinking image-bearing human being. Your brain has been baptized. So if you're a parent, think through decisions. Like when people say, I prayed over what house to buy. You could. It's not a bad thing. You could. But if you, if you live on Cherry Street or Walnut Street, the Lord probably doesn't care too much. He says, I baptized you and I baptized your brain, so think through it. If you can't afford the one on Cherry, you should probably live on Walnut, right? If you can't afford, afford the LX model of the car, get the EX. It's all going to be okay. So that's, that what, that's what makes us distinctly Lutheran and distinctly Christian. The Lord has redeemed the whole person. You're not subhuman. You're a human being who's been given all these gifts to now enact the story of God. You bear the new creation in your body. And people just, we don't think that way. And it's very tragic. Very tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's exa and, and one thing we haven't done very well is teach our kids the scriptures. <laughs> you know? You give them one or two verses to memorize for confirmation. And yes, there are. Yes, they're like you. <laughs> no, they're very good things. Yep, right. 
This is very interesting because I would guess if you had to pin me, you would probably say, um, Gainey thinks more about this, about the sacraments, than about the scriptures. Yes. Yep. And, and there's, there's a, yes, I'll just leave it at that. Yes, you're exactly right. You are right. I mean, there was a, and part of that is, I don't know what it was. Part of it was probably a reaction to Rome. Because Rome, it was all about the sacraments and never about the word. That could be, actually, I've never heard that, but that could be, that could, it's very, it's a humbling experience to go to the Eucharist. It's very joyful, but it's also very humbling because you're, you're admitting that you can't do it on your own and that you need some help, tons of help. That's why we kneel. I mean, there's, you can walk through. We were at the pastor's conference today. Everybody walked through for the Eucharist. But it didn't bring the same sense of humility. It's the same Christ, same gift, but it really brings a sense of humility. I mean, especially to see, like, your mom come to the altar. That's a very humbling thing for me, and I would guess for her, too. You know, at her age, um, it takes everything to get to the altar. In fact, I, when I preached Abby's grandfather's funeral sermon, I said, you know, uh, he used to come to Jesus, but later in his life, Jesus had to come to him. He's a lot like your dad. Jesus, Jesus would go down and meet him. But it's a very humbling thing to see someone who can barely get to the altar. Um, Kenneth, Kenneth Corby, who you know, may his soul rest in peace, Lutheran, Lutheran pastor, just died recently, three or four years ago, said, we go to the Holy Supper as if going to our death, that we might go to our death as if going to the Holy Supper. And that's the image you have when you see some of these older folks come to the altar. It's almost as though they're walking to their death. So that when they go to their death, it's like walking to the Holy Supper. Right? That's what you want. That's what I want for Emma. I want, I mean, just, I was thinking about it yesterday. All I want, all I want is for her to grow up and say, I got to be at the altar. That's it. And if she can live her life, I mean, she's going to have bad times and good times and ups and downs. She can live her life and on her deathbed say, it's all about the Eucharist. You know, that's where it's at. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I should square things up. That's exactly right. Yeah, right. Yes. I was, but then I didn't think it would be profitable at this point. No, what I was going to say was, if you had to pin it on me, you would probably say, here would be my guess. You would say, Gainick talks more about this, the visible, the Eucharist, than about the scriptures. And what I was going to say, what's so funny in all this is my PhD is on Christ being delivered in the scriptures and the preaching of the word. So it's just very, so I've had people say to me, all you talk about is the sacraments. Like, well, I've written out 200 pages on Jesus being, part of it is I'm so tired of talking about that, you know, for dissertation reasons that I can barely bring myself to do it. <laughs> Go ahead. That happens all the time. I'm just going to grab a seat right here. Is it really? Why?
but you're not like how do you get people to realize that that it's not like that because so many people think that and I mean really guys half the world you know believes in this what is it called what is it the world yeah right right Right. It's uh, it's kind of like it's it's funny that all the stuff we're talking about is probably what the early church talked about. I mean, around the time of Jesus, these are the conversations they were having. They weren't saying because they didn't have a book to throw down people's throats. They didn't have anything to pass around. So they said, we don't have a book. People aren't always going to believe us. How do we get people in the door? And what they did was they were hospitable. They loved people. I mean, one of the great images from yesterday was you bringing you know, your daughter and your husband to the basketball game. Here's the thing, though. That is, that is a way in which the church grows and flourishes. That's a way in which Jesus extends his kingdom. Because when people come in contact with you, even at Muldoon's, they come in contact with the person of Christ. And that's, that's the reality that postmoderns understand, I think, and people before didn't. There was never a sense that you actually bore in your flesh the person of Christ. It was, I'm a Christian, I have his spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in me. We talked about all these different things and said, yeah, I'm a Christian. But we never said, when people touch you, they touch Jesus. You know, you don't have to wait to heaven to see Jesus. You, when you go to the altar and you receive the body and the blood and you touch him there, when you, when you go home and, you know, you give your mom a hug, she touches Jesus. When you have your daughter, they're touching Jesus. And that's the way in which you can give a good defense of the faith. Not by saying, you're a damn sinner. You've got to come to church. See, third commandment. That's for people who are in the church. <laughs> That's not for people who are outside the church. You say, you know, my husband and I like to go out and have a drink, and um, we haven't always lived the greatest life, but we've got a very beautiful daughter, and guess what? She was baptized, and we go to church on Sundays, and sometimes it's tough, but you know what? When we go home, it makes our life better, and we know that in five or six years, our marriage will be better, and our kids will be better for it, and that's why we do it. Because the Lord gives me some gifts. Well, that's a bit of the law. <laughs> I would say if so, I would say no. It's probably not, but uh, he loves me anyways. I mean, you can do, you can, you can do any, you can do anything you want as long as it doesn't stand in the way of the gospel. This is St. Paul. As a Jew, you know, as a Greek, I became a Greek. As a Roman, I became a Roman. I mean, there are certain times in your life where, but nothing he did stood in the way of the gospel. So when that happens, confess it and be absolved. But anything else is fair game, you know. So you can, you can relate to your friends in many ways. There's some things you don't do, but many things you can do um, as long as it doesn't deflect from Jesus. And when it does and someone calls you on it, you say, yeah, that was stupid, but Jesus loves stupid people, <laughs> or my church is full of stupid people, or my church is full of sinners, or whatever. I mean, 
Look at page. Look at page one ninety. We can kind of. We can. I'll read this to you, and then if you got any thoughts or comments, he basically says here are your two choices. Very bottom of the page, um, that is done not least through God's addressing us in words. Words which force us either to retreat into shallow, shoulder shrugging denial. That can't be true, or to think more deeply to work out what he is up to and what he wants of us. More particularly, what he wants to do through us, your means of grace. Scripture is there to enable us to glimpse the task before us and to become the sort of people through whom that task can be attempted and accomplished. Okay, This is, this is what we've talked about, at least upstairs at 1015, for weeks and weeks and weeks. This is what it means to be forgiven and to live forgiven. right? Forgiveness is the Lord's first word. He says, I love you, I forgive you, all is well. And then he pushes you, as it says here, the bus says, forgiveness naturally leads to love. So forgiveness then pushes you out to live a particular life. Now, you can shrug your shoulders at it, but that would be a very, very tragic thing because what Jesus wants you to do is he wants to use you to be loving, to be kind, to be compassionate, hospitable. And, uh, and, and, and the, the truth is, we always talk about Lutherans. You know, you don't have free will. We don't believe in free will. You can't decide for Jesus. That's very true. But once you become a Christian, um, then the will is free again. And there's a point where people can say, I won't have any of that. Or I'll greatly have that. I'll rejoice in having that. Um, and that's the question that's always before us. Will you have him as he is or will you not? And obviously, if you're not, that becomes a law question because it's out, it, it demands, it forces, it's pressure. But if you say, yeah, I'll have him as he is, then that's all in the way of the gospel. If Jesus does it and you do it as, as part of the body of Christ, it is the gospel. It is. And all of that should be joy and blessing. It shouldn't be a burden. Okay? Any, uh, any other? I've got 25 after, and I don't know if that's right. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, the church. Yeah, the church and Jesus. Um, 
at least according to Ephesians 5, are one and the same, but there are times when the church decides to not run with Jesus, and that's when you get into trouble. When the church runs with Jesus, uh, they're indistinguishable. But there are, throughout history, there have been many times, both in the Lutheran church and outside the church, where the church has decided to not run with Jesus, and then, then people get hurt. And then it is, then it can't be, you cannot claim that that's in the way of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a very good point to make. Yeah, right. I completely agree. So we need to be the church that does run with Jesus. That's the point. Okay? Yeah. Yes, they do. Let's pray and let's go, okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.